You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Well, good morning. Nice to see you all. Uh, just to bring you up to speed, if you have not been with us at all the last couple of weeks, we are in a series on Malachi. Uh, we've been spending three weeks, well, we spent two, this is the third week in it. And uh, today we're going to be reading from 3, verse 13, right to the end of the book, okay? So if you want to be prepared for that, you can get ready with your Bible. Uh, but John's going to read to us in a few minutes. And when he reads, we ask you to just listen, and then you can be opened up to the text for, uh, for later if you want to be referencing to see if the things I say are actually in there and true. Uh, but we've been spending this time in it with the idea that like, this is the last of the prophetic writings in the Old Testament before Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, the year is about 450 BC that this is believed to have been written. This is after the people of Israel have returned from exile and their temple has been rebuilt and the walls around the city of Jerusalem have been rebuilt and this uh, worship happening in the temple has been restored. And one of the things I've been making note of each week that I will again right now is that as you hear it read, Recognize that the whole way it's written is this responsive style where God makes a statement, an indictment, if you will, to the people of Israel, and then they will respond to it, and then God responds to their response, and there's this back and forth style, and so it's really like important that as John reads that we listen to who's speaking and what's being said to really track with it. And so without any further ado, John, come on up, and he's going to read to us, open your hearts to just receive, like this is God's word. And so our encouragement is that you'd really open your heart to hear what he's saying to us through it today. Take it away, John. Thank you, Caleb. Good morning. So uh, the word of the Lord through Malachi, Malachi messenger, and uh, uh, the, uh, the people of Israel at that time were not singing Good, good father. Their response was quite different. And uh, I actually was talking with uh, Caleb just as I came in uh, to the building this morning. And uh, the, uh, you know, the common uh, greeting that we have, you know, in North America is, how are you? And the normal response is, I'm fine, right? So the, the, uh, the, the challenge would be, and I was thinking about that as uh, Christine was up here uh, lighting the candle, is the, you know, the question God is asking, how are you? And then the response would be, we are full of hope. We are hopeful. And so if you want to throw your friends off this week when they ask you, how are you? You can respond, hopeful. The people of Israel were not responding that they were Hopeful. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. 
Certainly, evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. The Lord Almighty says, On the day when I act, they will be my treasured possessions. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. The Lord Almighty says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Haran for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, that the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Thanks, John. As, uh, as I've said in the weeks past, you know, when we read from this book, we hear the scripture speaking to us in a way that we as 21st century people are not used to. <laughs> this, you know, I'm going to come and strike the land with total destruction and all this type of stuff. Um, but what we've been looking at the last few weeks is that as God speaks out these words to people, His word's true. His indictments are true. And that they are intended to actually call us back to alignment with him and his ways, which is for our good. And that when we live aligned to his ways, there is actually a blessing that flows in and through our lives that will cause the world around to see that God and his ways are good. You hear it repeated throughout the book, you know, that his name would be great among the nations. It was said over and over in the weeks past what we were looking at, right? And there is this, this thing that he, he intends to show his greatness through his people. But the key that we saw throughout the text in the last few weeks is that what God is looking for and asking from his people is wholehearted worship. Right? Like it opened up earlier on in the book with that they weren't bringing their best when they were bringing their sacrifices. They were bringing their sick animals, their blind animals, all this stuff, and leaving the best at home. And God was saying, no, you bring your best to me. 
And then we looked last week how that wholehearted worship actually flows in to affecting the whole of your life. It spoke into, you know, your married life and your sexuality. It spoke into social justice issues and how we engage with society. And it spoke into what we do with our money, right? Tithing and giving and all of that stuff. And in it all, what's going on is God is actually saying to his people, I want your whole heart. I want all of your life. And when you give all of your life to me, there is profound blessing going to flow in it and through it. For the world to see that I am good and that I am great. Does anybody like the sound of that? That God wants to show off through you. That's always been his intention. To show his greatness through a people who are committed to him. And so what we have is all that's what we've been looking at the last few weeks. And then where we open up here, God starts off with saying, listen, you're speaking arrogantly against me. And this is what you're saying. Serving God is futile. It's pointless, right? We gain nothing from following him. Actually, the arrogant are blessed. The evildoers are the ones who are prospering. That's what the people are saying after God has has given them all of this. They're saying, actually, God, I don't know about this. I don't really believe that serving you is going to gain me anything, do me any good. Because when I look around, I see that the arrogant, those, you know, like we looked at last week, those who are withholding wages, those who are taking advantage in different situations, the ones who are doing anything by any means to get ahead, they're the ones who seem to be blessed. And how easy is that in our day, right, of social media, to have the grass is greener paradigm when we look around us and begin to question Basically, the people are saying to God, what is the point? What is the point of serving you? What's God's response? What is God's response? God simply responds, I would say it this way, pretty much saying, the day is coming. The day is coming. It's five times in this text that John just read to us five times, things like, you know, the, the day when I act, the day is coming, the day that is coming, the day when I act, the great and dreadful day of the Lord is what it says over and over and over again, right? And this idea of this day, the day that is coming is a theme that's not just here. It's all throughout Scripture. So I want to look today at what is that day? What is the day that he's speaking of? And how does it actually redefine how we live our lives? How does it redefine what we actually believe to be greatness and success in this life? So I want to talk in these terms. You know, the day reveals. And we're going to look at regret and reward. And we're going to look at redefining success, okay? You with me? So the day, the day, what is it? The the day is the day of the Lord, is what it says. It's the day of the Lord. That's often said. It is the day when who is Lord will be made clear. And by who is Lord being made clear, what really matters is made clear. 
What's really important is made clear. This day reveals to us what truly matters to the Lord and therefore what truly matters in life. Now, why, why is it referred to as a great and dreadful day? It feels weird to smile at you when I say that, but hey. Why is it referred to as a great and dreadful day? Because you can't stop, it's coming. When it comes, it's here. Anybody ever have a, a, a big final exam that you had to study for? And no matter what you did, no matter how prepared you feel, the day is coming. The exam is coming. How you have prepared is, is going to show in that moment, right? And this day that we talk about, the day of the Lord, it's also known as the judgment day. Another way we could understand it is the evaluation day. Sometimes I think we, we misunderstand this word judgment that's in scripture, but it's really about God evaluating. He's going to evaluate the substance of our lives, what it's made of. It's going to be measured and evaluated by him. And here's a bit more why it's dreadful. Is that when Jesus, when you stand before Jesus and he evaluates your life, it really doesn't matter what you think about your life. It really doesn't matter what your parents thought about your life or your teachers or your spouse or your children or your employer or your neighbors or anybody else. It matters what one person thinks of your life. You know, you can't, you can't stand before Jesus on that day and manipulate and tweak his opinion of you. It's not like dodging a speeding ticket. Have you ever seen somebody, you know, like maybe they use their beauty to, to get out of the ticket, or maybe they break down and they start crying. Or maybe they talk their way through it, right? Maybe they bribe and they use money. I've seen that sort of thing happen, not so much here in Canada, but abroad, you know. I've seen tears work. And you can, in that moment, you know, you might be able to work your way out of it. It's not like that. What Jesus sees in our lives, what he says of our lives, what he thinks of our lives in that moment is absolutely true, and there's nothing you can do to change it. There's one opinion that matters. One voice, one vote. And this is, this is a healthy thing to have in our lives. It's a healthy, what we call from Scripture, the fear of the Lord. Because you know what the fear of the Lord actually gives you? Freedom from the fear of man. When the fear of the Lord is actually deep in your heart and in your mind and, and how you think about life and the future, it frees you from the fear of man. I remember hearing one time Mike Bickle talk about this sort of thing, and, and he was talking about how as this got into his heart 
about I'm going to stand before Jesus someday, and what he says is the only thing that really matters. It caused him to really want to pursue the Lord, right, more, more fervently, serve him wholeheartedly, and he would hear from people like, hey, just, just cool it. Just settle down a little bit. You're being way too zealous. You don't have to pray so much. You don't have to do this and that. And, and his response was, if you can convince me that your vote will matter on that day, then maybe I will listen to you. Now, this is not to say that the voices of people around us in our lives don't matter. God speaks through our friends, through our family, through our, through our church community, all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, the voice that we are listening for is the voice of Jesus. And to have this in our hearts, the recognition that the day is coming, is healthy. It's good. It's not a common popular message these days. I don't think so. I don't know. You guys might think differently, but, but I, I don't hear it a lot. But it's, it's loud and clear in Scripture. And that day is often referred to with this analogy. And it was in the text that we read. It's going to be like fire. It's going to be like fire. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. There's a really similar text to this that I'm going to read from. It's in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 to 15, and it's Paul describing something really similar, and he talks about how when we have the foundation of Jesus in our lives and we start to build upon it, we still have an option of what we're going to build with. This is what he says. If anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is, bur- if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved." even though only as one escaping through the flames. So what we see in that text is that there's different qualities of material that we can build upon, that we can build with. And they're going to be revealed. They're going to be tested. The fire will actually reveal the quality of what has been built with. Wood, hay, right? Straw, stubble, that sort of stuff. Or gold, silver, precious stones. And, and what has been built with will either be burnt up and nothing but ash, or it will remain. In other words, what you gave your life into will still matter, will still count, will still remain, will stand the test of the fire. There's reward and consequence that we can see in the scriptures. We're not talking about salvation here. Paul actually says it right there. He says that you can actually come through that testing time and what you've built with will be revealed. And even if it's burnt up, you're still saved. But as though one escaping from a fire, right? Everything you had is burnt up and gone. But you're saved. And what I find so compelling and intriguing, and I hope it'll capture your heart today, 
is that the same fire, it leads to devastation, loss, and regret for some, but it can also lead to healing, joy, and reward for others. Listen to the next verse in Malachi after 4 verse 1. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness, another fire, will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Such a funny picture for us today, but, but picture it. Picture the calf, well-fed, healthy, not, you know, sickly and, and, and skinny, going out of the stall and jumping and kicking and all the joy, right? Like, that's what he's saying. He's saying that for, for you who actually fear God, who actually serve him, who wholeheartedly follow him, when that day comes, the same fire is actually going to be like healing to you. And you're going to go out with this joy, frolicking like well-fed calves, Picture yourself like a well-fed calf for a second before we move on. There's a joy. There's a joy that is being promised. There's a joy that we're being invited into. There's actually a message here that says you can give your whole life, your whole heart to him. And in the end, you will receive great reward, great joy. Don't miss the moment. Don't miss the opportunity. The Bible is full of this reward and consequence concept, reward and regret. And it's not a modern, popular idea, like I said. You know, we, all, we want equal outcomes for everybody. We want everybody to get a participation ribbon. But, you know, like when we stand before Jesus, and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make some, you know, Harsh thing on participation ribbons, but it's not like that when we stand before Jesus. We don't just go, well, don't I, don't I get a ribbon? You know, like he's going he's gonna to actually show what our life was. Whoops, I literally just moved all my notes out of here. Give me a second. I like to have my notes. Now, doesn't Jesus welcome everybody? Yes? Can I get a yes? Can I get an amen? All right, good, good. But yet, not everybody receives the same reward according to Jesus. You actually realize Jesus taught more on the concept of eternal consequences and reward than anybody else in Scripture. Our Jesus that, we, that we, we love to focus on the grace of love? Yes, absolutely. But he, but he held this out to us as a motivation to actually follow him and obey him. And you have to ask the question, was Jesus misled and mistaken by doing this? Was Jesus off track every time he said, hey guys, there's coming a day when the nations will stand before me and some are going to be welcomed into the joy of their master, so to speak, and others are going to go into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Was Jesus mistaken and misleading to use this as a motivation?
So why will this day bring great reward for some and great regret for others? We're going to find, I believe, on that day whether what we actually invested our lives into mattered. Imagine you've taken your entire life savings and you've put it into certain stocks and investments. Anybody who's had money in stocks and investments over you know, the last 15 years can probably relate to this. Times when it just tanks. And that thing that you put all that money and investment into, all of a sudden that was worth whatever when you put it in, worth like nothing now. Imagine everything that you put your life into, nothing. But for others, they're going to find that what they've been sowing their life into, it lasts, it remains. And I think the root problem that we hear from the people of Israel in this text, and that we can probably really relate to, was when they said, what do we gain by serving the Lord? What do we gain from following his ways? And I think too often we measure success with the wrong metrics. We've got the wrong metrics that we're using to measure success and greatness. And I really believe Jesus wants to redefine how we understand greatness. Are you with me? It's interesting to me as we get through this text and we're hearing all about the day that is coming and the, and the, the devastation or the joy that it will bring. And then the book closes with this, these statements of remember the law that Moses gave you and love the children, care for the kids. There's this eternal perspective that builds in us this capacity to remember what was, to look behind, but also look ahead to the next generation. But when we hear this statement, you know, remember the law, well, we're in a better position than the original hearers of this were. Because we stand and we're celebrating the hope we have in Jesus at this time of the year because he actually came, he revealed himself. And do you know what Jesus said of himself? He described himself as being the fulfillment of the law. He says, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it. And he taught again and again and again that the ultimate fulfillment of the law was what? Love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And in the same book that we read from, from Paul a few minutes ago, Paul makes this statement in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. He says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The thing that will remain, the thing that will last from our lives is love. 
The ultimate thing that matters in our life is how we loved, how we love God, how we love people. So in all of this, you know, I know this message has its like, its heaviness. It's like the fear of the Lord, the great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming. But I want you to understand, I want you to hear and see that there is great reward and great joy available for us when we aim our life in the right direction. To simply love. To simply love well. I don't know about you guys, but I've been having this experience as we've been working through this book of Malachi, where last week, coming out of it, right, we all even back up, you know, the week before it was the wholehearted worship piece, and then last week we were seeing how it calls us into this very practical expression of love, whether that's faithfulness to our spouse or how we engage in society and what we do with our money and all that stuff, right? And I began finding myself realizing that it's like, Love looks like something. Jesus made the statement, John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friend. In other words, love costs something. And we see that throughout Malachi, right? Bring your best to the offering. Bring all of yourself to your spouse. Don't share it with anybody else. Do your dealings and business with integrity. Care for the poor and the marginalized, right? Be generous with your money. All this stuff, it costs us. And this is the call. To live and love in a way where, where, we, where we give, right? If you want to be great, if you want success, so to speak, in your life, he gives us a map for it. Sometimes we, sometimes we think to ourselves, we feel it's bad to want greatness. But I remember hearing my dad often talk about sanctified selfishness. There is sanctified selfishness, this desire to receive the reward, the desire for greatness. And Jesus doesn't play down the desire for greatness. It's actually in you from God to want to be great because you're made in his image and he is great. But what he's saying is your whole idea of what it looks like to be great needs to be redefined. It needs to be rewired because greatness, according to Jesus, is not in your amount of money you have. It's not in your career. It's not in sex. It's not in status. It's not in those things. It's in faith. Do you trust him? Do you believe him? But ultimately, it's in love. How do you serve? How do you give? What, is, what does love actually look like in your life? Greatness is in the world really measured by how much you have. In the kingdom, it's how much you give. Be great. Pursue greatness. Pursue eternal success. It looks like love. It looks like radical, generous, serving love. And the best part about it is Jesus says anyone can be great. Anyone can be great. When, when he talked in Matthew 5 about being the fulfillment of the law, that he came to fulfill it, right? He says anyone who neglects one little bit of this will be least in the kingdom. But anyone who does it and teaches others to do it will be great. 
When we seek to actually live it out, fulfill it, which is ultimately fulfilled in love. Greatness is the result. Great reward, great joy. And here's the thing. We can, we can hear all this and we go, okay, I'm going to love God better. I'm going to love people better. I'm going I'm to try harder, right? The beginning of Malachi starts with God saying to the people, I have loved you. I have loved you. I, I couldn't have picked a better worship set than what we sang this morning. It was song after song was hitting these points that were as carrying my heart for this message. He's pursued us. He's the one who's kicked down doors. He's the one who's climbed up mountains. He is the one who's coming after us with his whole heart, giving everything he has to the point of death itself. And it is his wholehearted commitment to us, his wholehearted love for you, that when you get that in you, you naturally respond to him with love. But you can't stir it up in yourself. And the beauty of this, right, is like when Malachi says, remember the law of Moses. Guess what, guys? I get to say to you, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember what he has shown us. Remember what he has done in your life. Remember what he has done for the world to display the love of God. And it is from that that this wholehearted love that will lead to great reward in your life flows. It's amazing. Like even the rewards, even what we're going to get and receive and the joy, it's all a work of grace. It's all a work of him having shown us his love for us. But we still have this, this option before us of how we're going to respond. Do we actually value and cherish that love for us? Do we let it get into our heart and into our minds? And if we do, it's going to show. I have to say to you guys again, Life Tree Church, I am amazed at how you love one another. I, I, I know I mentioned some needs last week. I've had people inquiring with me, okay, what is this? What would this look like? You know? I, I've seen all sorts of manifestations of just practical, amazing love from this community. And I'm convinced as I watch it, as I see it, as I look around, that God is at work in this community. That his love is getting into our hearts and into our minds. And I'm excited for us because this means if we, if we really get this, if we actually get what's being said here, there's great joy that lies ahead. There's great reward that lies ahead. And my hope is today that we would actually get just whatever adjustment needed to get our hearts and our lives aimed at loving well. Because it is so easy to get caught up in, in bigger bank account, bigger house, all these other measures of success. And it's not like, I'm not saying you can't have blessing in your life. But it's not the aim. None of us are going to come to the end of our life. You know, I, I'm not going to come to the end of my life and be like, you see that house? You see that thing? Or, do you know how many people came to Life Tree last Sunday? 
I'm not going to be counting those things. That's not going to be the measure. The measure that I know, like, and you see it on tombstones. It was a great father, a great husband, a great friend, right? The things that really matter are how we loved. That's what goes with us. And I find it so interesting. I'm going to just throw this in here. The book ends on this note of, you know, the hearts of the fathers turning to the children and children to the fathers. And then I'd be here, it says parents. And we can get into our heads like them that, hey, serving God really doesn't make any difference in our lives. But even if you don't believe in the concept of eternal existence and eternal reward and consequence, the reality is the only people who would actually believe that how we live doesn't matter are people who don't care about the next generation. There is a reality that something of us lives on. In closing, I just want, I want to say to myself, to all of you, let us not waste our lives. Yes, loving wholeheartedly is going to cost you, but it's going to be worth it. It's worth everything. What we get in return makes what we give look like nothing. Last week, we heard a scripture that said, return to me and I will return to you. And I want to say to you here that, that if that speaks to you today, if you're hearing this today, all I can encourage you is return to Jesus. If you've never actually come to Jesus in your life, you've never actually given your heart and your life to him, I encourage you today, come to Jesus. And if that's you, please come speak to me. Say, hey, what does that look like? Will you pray with me? But as we close, I want us to just do an exercise, okay? I'm going to ask you, and it's up to you how much you engage with this, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want us to picture Jesus on that day, the day. And in this, I want you to look into his eyes. What is the expression? What do you see in his eyes? What will he say to you? What do you want to hear? We're just going to take less than a minute, and I just want you to sit as best as you can. Let's picture Jesus on that day. Look into his face. What do you want to hear him say? Jesus told us that it was an option. It was a possibility that we could hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Go frolic like a well-fed calf. (laughs) And I want to highlight the, the reward and the joy that's offered, that's promised, because no matter where you're at in your journey right now, no matter what you've been aiming at, it is not too late. 
to adjust, to course correct, to aim your heart at learning to love well. And as we come into the, the Christmas season, what an opportunity. There's opportunities that are bound to, to love and to give and to serve well. So I'm going to pray and then I'll let you go. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't hold back from speaking to us what we need to hear. And you offer us eternal joy, eternal reward. Lord, I ask that by your grace you would make real to us the extravagant love of Jesus that did chase us down, that pursued us. Lord, that it would get into our hearts and we would find within us a willingness to love in a way that costs us, a love in a way that maybe hurts a bit or a lot. God, for your glory and for the good of others, for the good of this city, may you teach us to love well, that others would come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a wonderful day. And uh, make sure to get a hug, pray with somebody if you need prayer. And if you are responding for the first time or returning to Jesus, please, please, please come and I'd love to pray with you, right? Thank you for listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.